When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hello, and welcome to another episode of FBL Sunday with David Monday. Yep, that rhyme's still there. We're going to keep that going every week. I've been told to. That's my job. <laughs> and this obviously is another video from Fantasy Football Scout. Uh, and uh, if you like the content that you often see on this channel, uh, don't forget to like, subscribe and hit the bell notification so that you can never miss a video uh, with us. Um, I'm going to start with a mild apology. Um, I've been at a family reunion this weekend and uh, my voice is a little bit hoarse. So if at any point I sound like I'm dying, um, well, you'll just have to forgive me. But in some respects, there have been some improvements this week because um, courtesy of Fantasy Football Scout, um, I now have a significantly better webcam and a significantly better mic. We had a few like static problems last week uh, with my old microphone and possibly with the possibly with the USB port on my computer as well. But um, like Newcastle stepping in and signing this, that and everyone else, Fantasy Football Scout have stepped in and bought me some new kit. So thank you very much to them. Hopefully I'm coming across in higher definition, both visually and audio wise this week. So any problems, let me know. But I'm hoping that we should be plain sailing from here on in. Um, if people haven't tuned into this uh, show before, it's a new one for the new season uh, where we are hoping to capture um, all the reaction uh, as the games finish on a Sunday evening. Uh, it's been another busy weekend of FPL chaos, uh, as it is every weekend, to be fair. Um, and this is your opportunity to get in touch. Let us know if you've had a good game week, a terrible game week, somewhere in the middle. Um, come along and uh, discover that there are plenty of like-minded people that you can either celebrate with, cry with, or just try and crawl through existence with as your FPL team um, causes you an emotional roller coaster um, every weekend. Um, as I've already mentioned, I've been sort of semi-away this weekend, so if there's any sort of piece of information about the games that have happened that I've got slightly wrong, then please correct me in, in the comments because I haven't watched as many of the games as I'd like. I've watched most of the games today. I had to watch um, most of the Saturday games on, on highlights of Match of the Day this morning, so if there's any nuggets of information that I've missed out, please jump in the comments and let me know. Um, we're, we're all about making sure that there's a lot of interaction on this show. I really want to be hearing from you because obviously it is just me sat here. So we don't just want to hear from me for the whole time. So if you've got stuff to say, then let us know. Um, uh, as I said, if you like this uh, sort of content, then don't forget to subscribe uh, to the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel. Make sure you hit a like on this video and hit the bell notification so you never miss a video. So as I said, plenty of chaos uh, in FPL. And while you're getting ready to send in your stories in the live chat, I'm going to start by going through some of uh, my favorite tweets from the weekend that sum up um, the the general vibe of what we've all been going through. Uh, and we couldn't really 
start anywhere other than with especially with Sunday's games. Reese James. We talked we started with him last week, I think. And we've started with him again because it's just another weekend of absolute torment for some people who own this. Because some people are, who would have benched J- Reese James last week probably started him this week thinking they were going to get a nice easy haul against Leeds. But wow, Chelsea just completely blown away uh, by uh, by the Whites. Um, and we've got FPL Potato, who uh, obviously swapped Trippier for Reese James, who actually at 3.51pm went as far as to predict that Trippier would probably score a free kick. Well... In case you haven't already found out, uh, Mr. Potato Head, unfortunately that did happen. Um, and then, of course, Mendy owner's not particularly happy either. We've got a nice picture here of uh, of uh, Kokoma Connoisseur, uh, who uh, is telling us all about his... Uh, and, well, anyone who's in the Chelsea defence, really unexpected result for many, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, if you're in that Chelsea defence, I want to know how you're feeling right now, because... A lot of investment in that defence at the start of the season, a lot of money involved in those players, and we're not getting those clean sheets. So we're going to go into some detail on this a little bit later. So if you want some more information in terms of what to do with your Chelsea defensive assets, we are going to talk about that. But if you are someone who is suffering from that um, particular predicament uh, on Sunday, it's just ruined your Sunday, I can completely believe if that's the case, then do let us know. Uh, Then elsewhere... On Sunday, uh, Man City drawing three all at Newcastle. Another surprise result. A lot of people saying that this particular season is, is already incredibly unpredictable. Well, um, where else uh, has it best shown its unpredictable nature than at James's Park, where Newcastle went 3-1 up against uh, Man City. Man City did pull it back, of course. Um, but Bernardo Silva is just, just keeps on ticking over points. I mean, I was kind of led to believe at the start of the season he was probably on his way out, so I didn't give him even minor consideration and uh, he's already one of the players that's um, smashing the goals in uh, for Man City uh, of course three goals conceded so anyone who's invested in the City defence also um, deeply frustrated as I said we'll talk about some of this um, uh, moving forward uh, later in the show uh, but if you've got uh, double Man City defence perhaps please let us uh, know about your team if that's the case um, because, yeah, I mean, three goals conceded against Newcastle. Uh, Ruben Diaz, especially. If you've got Ruben Diaz, I really want to hear from you because, obviously, he didn't start the game. Um, he was on the bench. It was Stones and Ake started the game, and then he came in uh, and then, of course, conceded, like, two goals, having been on a pitch, like, 15 minutes. So I haven't looked at his exact score. I think he might have got an assist for Haaland's goal, so, you know, perhaps clawed it back. But, you know, an emotional roller coaster, all the same um, for, for Diaz owners especially. Loads of us have Cancelo, obviously got a yellow card and uh, not a clean sheet. So a lot of disappointment there. So if that's something that's um, particularly bugging your FPL team this Sunday, then just do let us know. Um, Of course, plenty of drama on Saturday as well. I mean, if we're already talking about... I mean, I feel like every every week we're going to be talking about expensive defenders. I mean, I talked last week about how big at the back managed to last as long as actually the start of the season for the first time in a very long time whereby we actually had people going with five men defences with Perisic and James and double Liverpool or double Man City defence. Well, finally, a good story uh, for some of these guys, because a lot of those expensive defenders haven't really followed through yet. Um, In Ivan Perisic, who made his first start of the season, got an assist, clean sheet, maximum bonus. I think it was 12 points in the end uh, and plenty of people, plenty of people celebrating that, including FPL Meg, FPL Rockstar as well. Um, but FBL Greyhead's tweet uh, I've quite enjoyed <laughs> because uh, here is a picture of Perisic and some leaks as everyone seems really keen to see some. And it's a picture of the, of the vegetable. But of course, he's referring to there the fact that we just don't know when he's going to start because, of course, there's so many fullbacks there or wingbacks, I should say. Uh, and Conte, big fan of rotating those. So 
We'll talk about that in more detail. But if uh, Perisic is, uh, you want to ask questions about Perisic, or if you just want to simply gloat about it, then do let us know. Um, uh, Brian Hantman says, uh, dude, I have double City and double Chelsea after downgrading from double Liverpool. Wow. I mean, yeah. That, well, then this is the place for you. This is the place where you can come along and receive maximum sympathy. That is deeply frustrating. Um, and I don't know, dare I say it, what happens sometimes when you're doubled on a defence is that the, the lows are very, very low. You know, you lose that clean sheet and neither one gets an attacking return and, and it looks it looks bad. What you're what you're hoping for when that does come off, it does look very nice. So fingers crossed for you, Brian, that you can get um, an improved uh, score out of those players moving forward. Um, uh, FPL Najib sort of making my point there. He says, I'm glad that I don't have any double defence for any team. Well, I mean, I'm the same and we'll talk about my team in a minute. Um Elsewhere in the Premier League on Saturday, if we're talking about mega trolling, there's always, I mean, every week you can find it. It's not that difficult. Uh, it was Bailey and Pereira this week who, obviously Pereira had his uh, yellow flag. Uh, Bailey hadn't started game week two and widely owned and and dropped in price, of course. A lot of people uh, got rid of him just to avoid losing value. I happen to be one of those people uh, and I benched Pereira. And here they are. Bailey and Andreas Pereira sitting in my bench this game week says uh, new IG FPL meme. And it's a picture of Messi and Ronaldo because, yeah, I think it was uh, five points for Bailey, eight points for Pereira because he created so many chances that he got some max. I think he got maximum bonus as well. Um, And uh, yeah, well, that's what happens sometimes uh, in FPL. Um, You know, maybe if you held on to Bailey, if you held on to Bailey, I really, I really want to hear from you. If you held on to Bailey and started him, and you've been brave enough to do that, please, please gloat to the maximum. We want to hear from, hear about that. And then anyone, I mean, we're probably going to be pretty divided, I reckon, on people who started Pereira, people who benched Pereira. Um, you know, your thought process behind that would be good to hear as well. Um, now I'm going to throw someone in here who we are going to talk about a little bit later, um, who um, uh, is not really getting talked about, well, never gets talked about enough because he tends to get a little bit sort of... Um, disregarding FPL but it's uh, Wilfred Zaha who um, now has 12 goals in the whole of 2022 which is the third highest of any player uh, of all players in Premier League other than Son and Harry Kane uh, since January we've got some great stats on him so if you're someone you're particularly interested in uh, then uh, yeah definitely stay tuned for later in the show when we analyse the Palace game in a little bit more detail Uh, we have a comment from the Flying Naga as well who says Saka to Rodrigo to beat the price change is it worth it well um, stay tuned um, on that particular issue because we're going to talk about Arsenal uh, in some detail we're going to talk about um, the assets that are doing well at Arsenal um, what is maybe the reasons behind why Saka hasn't done as well as some of the other assets have. Uh, Possible opportunity for him to do really well in the next game week against Fulham uh, with a specific weakness in their side. So possible chance that Saka can maybe pull it back. And we've also got tons of stats on Rodrigo as well. Obviously, he's lighting up the league thus far. I think he is the top scoring midfielder uh, after the first three game weeks. Uh, Obviously, um, very embryonic at this point. But yeah, I mean, that particular move could work, but... As I said, I think maybe uh, I will be safe in my conscience if I say to you, I'm going to have a look at Saka. We're going to have a look at Rodrigo. And at the end of the show, it will give you the opportunity to make your decision on that particular one. Um, then finally on the tweets, uh, Gabriel Jesus obviously is at the uh, at the heart, not only... Well, we, we, there's no question of should we own him anymore. I think his ownership is now 80%, so it's not really an issue of that anymore. It's, should we be captaining him? And this was the first game where he received quite a lot of captaincy uh, backing just the four points against Bournemouth very frustrating for those who captained uh, Jesus um, but 
I have included over here a screenshot of just how close he was to being onside for that particular um, goal that was disallowed. And we are going to talk about Jesus uh, in a little while. So if you uh, have thoughts about captaining and moving forward and are a little bit frustrated about uh, what happened against Bournemouth, well, we'll go into more detail soon after. So, as promised, my team for game week three, and well, there it is. Look at that absolute horror show. So, if I mean, first up, if you've had a bad game week, well, you are not alone. I am one of those managers that have had a really poor showing so far. You'll be able to see from the little box just below where you can see my face, my rank. I was 900k after two game weeks, which I was quite happy with. Uh, going into the Monday night game for game week three, I'm now ranked at 2.4 million, which Obviously, not ideal, but I'll take it for now. You know, this stage of the season, um, you know, we're not, you know, it, 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 with this, so this, there's so many, so much chaos going on. You're still trying to work out what's happening. As long as you can sort of stay relatively in touch with the top million, I'm not too worried. Um, and of course, I've still got my captain and Alexander Arnold to play on Monday night in what I would describe as relatively favourable fixture, considering that Man United are terrible. Uh, but just to talk through my team uh, for anyone who's listening rather than watching, I've got, uh, of course, Danny Ward in goal with another one pointer. He's already on the chopping block if I can get rid of him. I made the decision to start Nico Williams this week. I know a lot of other people did the same off the back of his uh, impressive display uh, against West Ham. Came very close to getting uh, a decent haul because obviously Everton scored right near the end. And uh, yeah, that's that's knocked off a fair few points. And, and, he, and he played really well again. Played really, really well again, uh, De Williams. Lots of ad, uh, advanced positioning. Um, I believe it is zero points for Cancelo. Um, I'm just trying to think when I screenshotted this. I think I think I am still on zero for Cancelo because, of course, got the yellow card, conceded two goals. Didn't do anything else. So that's zero points for Cancelo. Um, I talked last week on the stream about Neto and went through uh, how well he'd... Uh, performed statistically um, in game week two and said, oh, I'll probably need to sell him. And then I went back in and just saw how active he'd been in the penalty box uh, across the first two games. And he was in the top five for touches in the penalty box over the first two games. So I thought, go on then. Seems as I'm selling Bailey, I'll give Neto another go. And lo and behold, it's another blank. So coming very close to selling him as well. Salah, my captain, coming up. Martinelli got me an assist. I'll take that. Solly March was my Bailey replacement because I couldn't quite get to Pascal Gross. And unfortunately, that didn't work out. But um, I've seen I've seen um, spells of brilliance from March this season. So I'm, I'm tempted to give him a little bit more time. Although I've got two transfers for the next game week, so I could potentially restructure and upgrade him. Um, my front three... Um, I'm still relatively happy with it. It hasn't done too well this week. Just six six four for Harlan, Kane and uh, Jesus respectively. But in a game where a lot of people really struggled to uh, to get attacking returns, I'm still happy with this front three, to be honest. And especially considering that big at the, I'm kind of the anti-big at the back. I'm big at the front. The fact that a lot of the big at the back um, teams haven't done too well either. Like, I will absolutely take this. But as I said, the bench, there's Andreas Pereira, first sub, eight points. Would have made a huge difference uh, somewhere else in the team. Oh, well. Uh, and uh, Nuclear Atoms, <laughs> making uh, reference to last week's Batman antics, is that Sven Botman isn't the Dark Knight when it comes to FPL. That is absolutely true. He is my third sub this week. He got me seven points last week, but obviously a game against Man City. He was my third sub because I'm not going anywhere near starting him for a game against Man City. And thankfully that decision paid off. So um, very, very happy with that. So, uh, as I always like to do uh, on this uh, stream, is I like to introduce to people, or at least make sure people are aware of, on Fantasy Football Scout's website, what Scout Notes are. 
so if you didn't watch last week's stream uh, or just perhaps just uh, haven't noticed this particular part of Fantasy Football Scout before, Scout Notes are uh, an FBL version of a match report uh, and it kind of just leaves out anything that I would consider as a match of the day talking point. You know, good defending here, bad defending there. How many times can we get Alan Shearer to say the word superb? That sort of stuff. Right, none of that. Right, we don't need that. We don't need that at all. What we need is the really focused uh, information that tells us um, which FBL assets are doing well, which aren't doing well. Is there any particular nugget of information that suggests that someone might do well next week or should we sell this person? And, and is, is a great focus on, on those particular talking points. At the moment, those are mostly written by Neil, who's the editor, and uh, Deputy Editor Tom Freeman. And so uh, on any given weekend, if you want to know uh, or, like almost as soon as the games are over, uh, who's doing well and what what we think is going to do well next week make sure you check out these um articles and you will be and you won't be disappointed um we're going to go into some of the detail on some of those uh talking points uh in just a second um after i just read out a couple more comments from people who are reminiscing about how how frustrating this game week was. So Charles Liverpool said, defence failed me this game week. Not the only one. Uh, Old K uh, Cabocharlie says, uh, double Chelsea and City defence screwed me. I'm hoping I get returns from Salah, Trent and Diaz. Uh, FPL Najib says, I went from 255k to 900k uh, to then went from 900k to 199k this week, thanks to Saliba and Rodrigo. Not bad, not bad. Uh, Luke C says he's got 15 points on his bench. I'm going to guess that there's some Pereira and some Bailey action going on there. Jefferson Van uh, Van Dyke says 23 points on his bench. So I really, really want to know who's on that particular bench. Um, Charles, just going into slightly more detail on his defence. His defence reads like a binary solo from a Flight of the Concord song with 1-1-0-1-1 one, 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 one as the scores there. Uh, Tony D's bench was Sanchez, eight points, Aronson, eight points, Andreas, eight points. Oh, oh, that's painful. Uh, and Charles Liverpool, is, uh, just to clarify some more about his team, 33 points, and now it's on to his triple Liverpool. So hopefully uh, 30 points from those three, and that could take him up to 60. That would be a lot more respectable, wouldn't it? Well, we're all, we've all got our fingers crossed with that Monday night game. We're really hoping that Liverpool absolutely destroy United because we, we could all do with some points at the moment. So... Talking points from the weekend's games. Um, we're going to start with Saturday uh, because in terms of preparing for the show, it's a lot easier for me to spend Sunday morning going through the Saturday games. And we'll talk about the Sunday games at the end as well. I've tucked them in. Um, so Spurs obviously beat Wolves 1-0. Um, they didn't play particularly well against Chelsea, but still came away with a point. Um, and of course, a win against Wolves and another goal for Harry Kane, um, which is obviously great for Harry Kane owners, uh, but Son not so involved. Um, but the main talking point here, as I've already alluded to, has to be uh, Perisic. So we're going to look at him uh, a little bit um, first. So first start of the season, I believe it is, uh, for him. And... Um, he played very well, did uh, Perisic. He created three chances, had more final third touches than anyone else uh, on the pitch, which obviously is uh, very encouraging. And his offensive threat very well reflected in the average position map as well, uh, where he is, as you can see here, uh, very, very close to Son and Kane in terms of his average uh, position. Now, I should just clarify that um, what you're seeing at the moment, 
at the top anyway, uh, is um, a screenshot from the Fantasy Football Scout members area. I've mentioned many times before that it is an absolutely invaluable tool if you want to improve your FPL uh, pedigree uh, because it has just all sorts of incredible stats and diagrams and heat maps that um, can tell you absolutely everything you need to know about a game, about a series of games. You can customize it however which way you like, create tables uh, with... You know, for the last four game weeks, last six game weeks, last four home matches, last six away matches, wherever you want it to be, it, it it will be. And it can tell you everything you need to know. And so if you don't already subscribe to that particular part of Fantasy Football Scout, then head to fantasyfootballscout.co.uk now and look for, uh, I think, the tab near the top of Members Benefits. If you aren't already signed up, you can see a full list there because I'm only scratching the surface of how good it is. Uh, so have a look at that and sign up if you feel that that is what will take you to the next FPL level. And as I said... Uh, looking at what we've got here, uh, Perisic in a really, really advanced um, uh, position for for, for that game. Um, uh, there was no shots uh, for Perisic. Uh, obviously, the offensive threat was there in terms of creativity. That's the main thing. But um, the fact they had no shots shouldn't be too discouraging if you've got Perisic or you're thinking about getting him. Because uh, there was a couple of occasions uh, where he could have shot and didn't or didn't get the chance to so Son uh, should have found him really um, with uh, with a pass where Perisic was just in tapping territory and didn't go for him and later on Perisic was in quite a glaring opportunity to shoot and and he didn't take it and you've got to hope that maybe in the future Conte is going to say to him take that shot there and of course with Son you've got to hope that maybe he's going to say square that ball but the one thing that we have to uh, consider with Perisic obviously is that rotation threat um, it looks like it's going to be quite common under Conte, especially in the wing-back position, because, of course, Sessegnon played the, started the first two, came off against Chelsea, and then Perisic came in. So based on what we've seen so far, I mean, we wouldn't be too shocked if Perisic started the next one. Um, but obviously, Conte has demonstrated that he, he he's not precious uh, about that. Um, one of the handy things about scout notes is that they're very good at collecting manager quotes that can help us with some of these things. Uh, and uh, what we've got here is a great quote from Conte about Perisic. It said, uh, uh, he struggled in the first half with the rest of the team. I think that's largely in terms of... Um, his fitness as well, because obviously he's uh, new to the team. I've seen the Ivan Perisic I know from Inter when we were together at Inter Milan first. He was very important because we were talking about a player with great experience, a player that won a lot in, in his past, has played in an important team. He can bring experience. But I was also really pleased with the impact of Ryan Sessegnon. So that's obviously the thing that's going to be at the back of people's mind, is that at this point in time, Conte isn't really giving too many hints about who's the favourite. You know, he's praising both of the fullbacks that are playing in that particular position. Uh, so it is, is going to be a risk. And the other thing that we've just included here on the bottom, is uh, Spurs' uh, upcoming schedule, which obviously is quite busy. Um, you've got uh, just fixtures in all sorts of competition, European commitments and, and cup competitions. And so it's it's going to be impossible, really, isn't it, that, that Perisic is going to play absolutely all of those games. And so then that, that just is, is the risk that you take. And of course, he's not the sort of player that doesn't come on either. If he doesn't start the game, he isn't going to be the sort of player who's going to get left on the bench. You know, he can offer a significant amount of experience, creativity, offensive threat from the bench and, you know, often can be brought on to change games. That is exactly what happened against Chelsea, of course, because Spurs weren't playing particularly well. Sessignon wasn't really having a good game. Perisic came on towards the end, got himself an assist which of course is helpful, but whenever he comes on, he's not going to always get an assist. So he could potentially block some benches at some point, but I guess these are the things you need to know. It's up to you to make the decision about whether or not you want to take a risk with that particular player in your squad. Uh, but but as I said, the signs from what we've seen from Perisic in this game where he started were very positive. We do just have to clarify that he isn't going to play every game. 
uh, if there's anyone out there who wants to know about wolves, we have some information on them. If you're still a Neto owner, then like me, and so maybe I'm just being biased here. And then handily enough, you know, it's it's worth pointing out that they did actually play quite well in this game. Uh, you know, for long periods, they looked very good in their approach play, uh, and they actually outshot their hosts twelve shots to one in the first half, which is just insane. Uh, so this is a team that um, isn't putting uh, things in the back of the net, but at the very least is approaching well and getting shots off, just not putting them away uh Jimenez is back as well uh although it's worth pointing out that last season he only got six goals so how much of an impact that can make is is hard to say but there's new signings in there with uh, Mateus Nunes and Gonzalo Guedes and then also um one other consideration that people should be aware of is the fact that Pedro Neto uh, actually played kind of in a in basically a wing-back role in this particular game which has put has you know anyone who's still owning Neto I've just seen the nuclear atoms that says please give me some hope for Neto is he worth starting next week I mean I might start him I don't know I need to work out what I'm doing with my transfers but if you're put off by the fact that he played as a wing-back against Spurs um, the general consensus seems to be that that was largely out of necessity to try and nullify the threat of Son Heung-min which largely worked because of course he didn't um particularly uh, achieve very much in the game and we'd like to think that Neto would play in a slightly more advanced role uh, in game week four that's the hope anyway but at the moment Neto really is clinging on to a place in my team by the like the edge of his nails so you know we're really not getting the output from him that we want to see even though he's touching the ball quite a lot in some advanced areas there's not a lot of shots there's not a lot of um key passes so um Neto very much um on the fringe of my squad already and would completely understand if he's on the fringe of yours as well let's move on to Arsenal then I promised slightly more information and slightly more detail uh, on their attack uh, obviously 3-0 win against Bournemouth um, largely an expected win these days Arsenal have very quickly become a team that we can seemingly rely on for positive results and when you consider that you know City have drawn today Liverpool still haven't won yet um, already Arsenal looking like a really reliable team uh, is, well, for goals anyway perhaps less so for clean sheets although they did get one in this in this one um, but uh, yeah Jesus is someone that um, that people are obviously very very interested in potentially for captaincy uh, he's in 80% of teams now which I, I I think that's I mean that's the first time I can remember a player being in 80% of teams even with Salah it's just uh, insane I mean a large part of that is obviously going to be the price uh, of course at 8.1 but he's surely going to be 8.2 8.3 maybe by the next deadline um, and um just the four points, people are a little bit frustrated, but of course, as we've already alluded to with that screenshot earlier, he's very, very close to getting a goal ruled out uh, for offside, obviously, um, uh, by VAR. So you'd like to think that in the future, those really, really marginal calls are possibly, possibly going to go in his favour. Uh, when we look at what he's achieving statistically, uh, once again, another screenshot here from Fantasy Football Scout members area. So if you don't already subscribe to that particular part of the site, then make sure you head to the website and subscribe now because it will make a big difference to uh, how well you play FPL. You will be more informed than ever before. And what we can inform you of at the moment is now I took this particular screenshot um, before the Sunday games kicked off. So it's possibly slightly uh, outdated, but at the very least, Jesus would still be very nearly uh, near the top four penalty area touches. Uh, 29 uh, touches in the box for him so far, which at the time of me screenshotting that was the highest in the league. And then what's also really uh, nice to see is that he's ranking very highly for shots in the box. I haven't sorted it in this particular screenshot. He's in the top three or four for shots in the box. 
Um, not quite as many um, big chances and shots on target as you'd expect. But as we've sort of alluded to already, there's been a number of times when he's had um, there's been goals ruled out, and then sometimes that doesn't then factor into what's in the stats. So um, you know, it's sort of artificially deflated in there by VAR, uh, but still looking uh, very good. And the other the other thing about him is that two big chances created so far in three matches for a forward is quite nice uh, to see. So because obviously he has assist potential against Leicester, he got two goals and two assists. So there's plenty there um, to like about him now i've got some questions um <laughs> jonathan says should i sign up to scout or not <laughs> just tell me david well i mean i can try i can try plugging it one more time but i might save it for later in the show appreciate that i'm <laughs> like a used car salesman saturday telling everyone to sign up um but yeah we've got a plenty plenty of questions here about uh saka so um in terms of the Arsenal midfield then what we've discovered so far this season is there seems to be this there's a really really big focus for Arsenal on going down the left-hand side. Now, it's something that we noticed against Palace. It's something we noticed against Leicester as well. And it's why we've seen Zinchenko do well. It's why we've seen Martinelli do well. And it's why we've seen uh, on the other flank um, the the attacking options there. Saka obviously being one of them. Um, not doing as well as we'd like. All this focus on the left-hand side. And one of the reasons why is Granit Xhaka, who we talked about last week. And um, I felt a little bit silly touting him up because obviously he'd done, so, he'd done fairly well so far. I think he, he, he came close to scoring against Palace. He got a goal and assist against Leicester. And, uh, and he was pushing into this really advanced role uh, as a kind of advanced number eight where he clings a little bit closer to the, to the attacking three uh, as a support player, which we, we expected in a game against Bournemouth where they were going to see more possession, would, would only see him more at the heart of attacking um, returns. I felt a bit silly talking about him and there was a couple of people sort of thought, well, you know, oh, is, that, is, is he really worth considering? Because historically he hasn't been worth considering. A number of people... Um, who actually said, actually, that's not a bad shout, and I, I've noticed him as well. And, well, here we are. Here we are again. Another assist for, for Shaka. Uh, I think it was just a five points in the end. But, you know, for a five million midfielder, I mean, you take it. Absolutely take it when, you've got, when you're starting someone of that particular price. And what I've got here on the left-hand side is his heat map, which just, go, which just shows you what he's contributing to those attacks uh, when they're in, in a lot of possession. Um, and of course, playing Fulham next week, uh, you'd expect that's another game where Arsenal are going to see a lot of possession. So this particular heat map, we should get used to. Plenty of uh, touches that are in a, um, heavily in the attacking third. Uh, lots of touches in the boxes as uh, in the box as well, and is very much supporting that attack. And that's and because he plays on the left hand side of the deeper midfield pairing, and he's the one pushing forward. Because um, we've got some more quotes from Arteta uh, on this, which I'll read out in a second. Because of that, that is possibly why we're seeing Saka not benefiting as much as Martinelli, and then of course. Jesus who's getting that service as well sometimes um, Arteta said the way I want to play there are certain spaces that have to be occupied at all times and as you can see there's a lot of rotation in that unit with Alex uh, which I think is Inchenko um, Martinelli and with him and when he says him he's talking about Shaka. but he has the ability to do that he has the capacity to do that he arrived today in some really good positions again and as we can see from the heat map that's corroborated as well and it's the evolution of the player because Arteta has been talking recently about pushing forward Shaka uh, just to cling that little bit closer to the attack and that's benefiting the left hand side conversely not benefiting Saka um, and on the fringes again in terms of his stats for the game he didn't register a single penalty box touch against Bournemouth and in a game where they've won 3-0 could have won 4-0 if not for a marginal VAR call that is deeply discouraging uh, he didn't have a shot either but so then obviously I'll just go back to the question earlier about Saka what should we do with him 
you know that is obviously deeply discouraging but when we look at you know what's going to happen moving forward i do think we always have to take into consideration the fixture as well and fulham next week uh, is a team that could potentially uh well, i mean i mean i'm sat here with jesus and martinelli and i look at the fulham fixture and i'm very happy i personally think that arsenal can score two or three goals against them as well you know fulham have already demonstrated that they can concede two or three goals a game so far so i'm quite happy with that but if i've got saka i'd probably be thinking that he possibly could be capable of that as well even if he's not been too heavily involved yet the crucial thing here is now if you look on the right hand side of what's on the screen right now uh apologies if you're listening i'll try and describe it what i've got here is the chances the key passes conceded of Fulham uh, so far this season across the first three matches they played and what we are seeing so far is that they are actually quite vulnerable to the to the right hand sides they're conceding a lot of chances down their left uh, so in total, if I can get these numbers correct, I believe uh, that it is Fulham have conceded 10 chances down their left-hand side, seven through the middle, but just three down the right-hand side. So obviously you have to invert that for which attacks are obviously going to benefit from that. And so it'd be interesting to see what happens in, um, in game week four between Arsenal and Fulham, because they obviously have been sending everything down the left which would then obviously correspond with Fulham's right. And actually, they've defended that side of the pitch really well so far to only concede three chances down that side when you consider the quality of teams they've played. Um, obviously, of course, playing Liverpool in the opening um, game of the season. Um, that's very impressive. So could this possibly be game before? Could that be the week where Arsenal have to go down the right-hand side that little bit more because the the Fulham are quite secure on the side where they're strongest? And that could potentially put Saka in the game a little bit more. So... If you've got Saka, I know it's easier said than done because I don't own him and he's possibly going to drop in price. But if I was going to... I mean, I don't think there's the worst decision in the world to hold Saka and give him the opportunity to play in a game where Arsenal may have to focus on what he can bring to the team a little bit more than the left-sided players. So um, worth considering that, I think, if you've got uh, Saka. One last thing just to mention from the Arsenal game is Bournemouth's attack which, of course, scored two goals against Villa in the first game week, but hasn't done particularly well in the last two game weeks. Obviously, they've played Man City and Arsenal, but they've got a combined XG of 0.42 from those two games. And, of course, we've got Liverpool playing them in game week four. And so if you're sat there with a Liverpool defensive double up, and you may well be listening to this after they've conceded against Man United, but, you know... If, if you're still frustrated with Liverpool not being able to keep a clean sheet, game week four looks like an opportunity where that might actually happen because thus far Bournemouth's attack really hasn't offered very much. So there's definitely uh, potential there for your Liverpool defensive double-up to perhaps last one more week if you're not a big fan of breaking the team up and uh, making lots of changes. So yeah, hopefully that's helpful information on Arsenal. Um, in terms of what I've told you about Saka, uh, those who have been asking about him and asking that question, obviously I've giving you my opinion uh, up to this point. Let me know if that particular part of Fulham's defence is going to make it uh, have an impact on what decision you make because I'd be interested to know if it's um, a powerful enough decision for you to consider maybe accepting a 0.1 price drop. I'd be intrigued to see how that impacts people's decision-making process. So another match from Saturday that has um, some <laughs> some big impact on uh, FPL managed decisions moving forward. Um is uh, Palace and uh, Villa and Palace. Now, of course, Bailey uh, is is the it's the pantomime villain here. So, if you want to just throw some boos into the live chat, I'm happy to read those out uh, because loads of people sold him. I think it was eight hundred thousand in the end. It was a huge amount. His price dropped, and a lot of that was coming from the fact that we didn't know if he was going to start. And I will put my hands up and I will say I said on the stream last week I'm concerned about his starts because of the fact that Villa looked so good 
when they didn't start him and they played a more central attack with two centre forwards. And I kind of thought that would continue. It didn't. He came back in the team uh, and they've lost. <laughs> so maybe he comes out of the team again. I don't know. But I thought I'd just include uh, his average position map so that people had an idea of what he is able to achieve when he is on the pitch. And of course, um, in a relatively... Um, relatively advanced position there uh, on the right-hand side. And, uh, of course, he could have had a double-figure haul in this game. So he only got the assist, but he hit the post in the second half. So had that gone in, you know, you'd have been looking at a double-figure haul, which really would have stung. So in a, in a way, lots of us who got rid of him, very, very happy that um, <laughs> that he hit the post. Um, but Gerard, it's, uh, Gerard has been very keen to warn us that he has... He has the likelihood that he may make rota- he may make rotation decisions um, this particular season, and so we just have to be aware of that. When I mean, we go back to the Perisic thing, I mean, I think if you are going to hold Bailey, I mean, it's it's not a bad or, or necessarily even the correct decision to hold him, but you just have he comes with the caveat of like he isn't going to play every game, and you know we aren't really seeing too much to uh, um, suggest that that isn't that that's you know that's going to change so um that that's still something that's a consideration um a couple of people just uh getting in touch uh about this particular subject uh Nuka Atom said Bailey to Shaka is the best decision I've made so far uh and he uh <laughs> has told Bailey to basically go forth and multiply which I can can understand I mean that that's I mean you've obviously what's happened there is I think they probably I think they got the same points but you've saved yourself the point one uh price drop and actually moving forward I would personally rather own Shaka than Bailey because Arsenal's fixtures are nicer and Shaka's more likely to start even if he's slightly more likely to get a red card <laughs> uh but yeah so um well done to anyone who made that switch last week. I think that that will benefit you in the long term just because you're just going to get more minutes out of it. Now, I did promise we were going to talk about Zaha because, you know, I'm seeing um, one question's come in about what, who I think are the top three eight million midfield players. I mean, I've said before, I really hate that bracket with a passion. There's a, there's a bracket in every position I don't like that seems halfway between what you'd consider budget and premium. And so I don't like five million defenders. I hate five million and five five goalkeepers. I really don't normally like eight to nine million uh, priced forwards although I love Jesus right now but I think he's underpriced personally uh, and in midfielders it's the 8 million ones I, I'm not a fan I'm, I've never really felt like an 8 million midfielder fixed into my structure um, but on that subject don't worry we've got Wilfred Zaha so it's fine um, now I've, I've had like a little bit of an eye on Palace for a little while because their fixtures aren't amazing just yet but from game week five to game week 10, they look really tasty. And so I've had an eye on them to see how well they've started the season. And well, you, you can't exactly say they've started it poorly, uh, especially with the way they played against Liverpool. And of course, um, you know, saw off uh, Villa with relative ease as well. Uh, and what's also really interesting is as of Sunday morning, I appreciate these stat, this stat is a little bit outdated and I've not checked it to update it for the Sunday games, but they have just finished. So you may have to forgive me on that one. Uh, is as of Sunday morning, uh, Palace had the highest XG of any team in the Premier League after, after the, after after I say three, they play three matches, and, and the majority of the division have played three matches as well. So they're clearly performing very high in terms of um, likelihood that they're going to score. Uh, but Zaha, especially, we, we, we're expecting him to be someone who is going to get seriously looked at. Um, so he was fifth among FBL midfielders for goals scored last season with 14. He's already got three to his name so far uh, with his brace against Villa. He is on penalties, although admittedly he did miss uh, in the in the most recent game, but then of course scored the rebound. Uh, and the other thing is that his stats in the game outside of that were also very good. So he was joint top of that game for shots. Uh, he was uh, joint top of that game for uh, key passes as well. And you know, very much a uh, very much a talismanic figure in that Palace team. Um, seems to have put a lot of the sort of off the field um, 
how do I put this? And the off the field distractions in terms of the the pressure that he gets from fans, uh, in the, you know opposing fans in the game, and be, how often he gets fouled. He seems to have put a lot of those distractions out of his mind. A lot more focused now, and seemingly uh, able to to seriously nail down a place in a lot of these particular stable the tables that I like to refer to, uh, where he's doing very well. And with those fixtures, I'm seriously considering seeing if I can get Zaha into my team. And so hopefully anyone who's a little bit um, not sure in the 8 million bracket could maybe maybe find some joy with Zaha in the 7 million and you've saved yourself uh, some money uh, Addison Chang was actually at Selhurst Park yesterday who said that Eze and Zaha were both brilliant well I'm glad you've mentioned Eze because if you're looking for an even better way of saving money Eze is another one to worth considering and as you can see from what we've got on the screen right now another screenshot from Fantasy Football Scout members area um, is that um, also uh, he was top of this particular match, uh, well, joint top, I should say, uh, four shots and four key passes. So Eze um, looking really good. And Addison just confirming there again, as a man who is who is quite literally shared a building with uh, with Big Wilf uh, this weekend, confirming that Zaha looks more focused and more clinical this season. Well, anyone who saw his goal against Liverpool, I mean, what a goal that was. Incredible placement of that shot. Really, really good. Uh, I think that, that absolutely sums up um, uh, how he's doing at the moment. So, yeah. Um, if Zaha bangs next week, I will definitely remember the fact that we talked about him this week. <laughs> um, because in terms of people that get touted on this show and then go on to do something impressive, um, we have to talk about Leeds. Now, I've actually put these slides the wrong way around. I've, I've, I've opened with Reese James, but let's talk about Leeds. I'll go with this one first. If we're looking for budget midfielders, then Leeds also is another place that we, sh- we can probably look at. Um, because, wow, Rodrigo and Harrison are absolutely tearing it up in a way that's that's really exciting. We uh, we talked about them last week because their stats were looking very good and we were th- we were talking about their their fixtures uh, moving forward and perhaps is Chelsea in the way of us investing uh, soon enough. And we looked at a couple of stats and well, yeah, we worked out that to be honest like Chelsea probably could concede in this game based on what they've done up until that point. So anyone who does jump on Rodrigo and Harrison before the Chelsea game could be richly rewarded and well, they're sat there with um, double figure hauls, both of them, anyone who's got uh, either of those players and their stats just continue to look very, very good. Um, so uh, at the time, of, so we got we got we got these stats, and, but just before the Man City game. So um, as I said, the Man City game could potentially could potentially impact on these tables uh, after they've all updated. But uh, after three matches so far, Rodrigo is ranked second highest in the Premier League for shots inside the box. So he's very persistently shooting there, and his penalty box touches so far is nineteen. Now he. Even more impressive on this, which we did mention last week, was that he achieved a lot of the bulk of those numbers from playing in a kind of second striker behind Bamford in the first two game weeks. But of course, Bamford came off injured in game week two, not involved in game week three. So that's afforded Rodrigo to get even further forward. And it has absolutely supercharged him, it would appear. And those stats are turning into goals. And because he's performing so well statistically, when you look at those fixtures moving forward, you've got to say that if he's going to sustain his output of points, he is shooting uh, in terms of... Uh, where he's shooting, how the quality of those chances and how accurate they are. Because you'll also notice on the right-hand side, there's six shots on target uh, for him, which I think is the second highest in the league thus far. You know, they are the stats of a man that can keep this going. And of course, anyone who's watched that Leeds team play in the flesh will know that they, wow, they are operating at 100 miles an hour and uh, pressing very high and are going to win the ball in lots of dangerous areas. So he is going to see a lot of action and he is going to get a lot of points moving forward, I think. 
Um, obviously, there will be people who are probably priced out of Rodrigo, possibly, because he's already up to 6'2", and you're going to imagine he's going to be 6'3", very soon. So if you are looking for someone else, it is it feels frustrating because there's only 0.2 between him and Harrison. But Harrison is not looking like a bad option either. So thus far, uh, he has got one goal and three assists. He was on 21 points across the season so far, excluding today's bonus. And apologies, I don't actually know how many bonus he got. So if you know how many bonus Harrison got, then do let me know in the live chat. Um, he's looking very good as well mostly from a creativity perspective although he does have a goal thus far uh, at the time that I took these screenshots from the fantasy football scout members area which doesn't include the Man City game so it's entirely possible that De Bruyne has gone above him um, but either way to still be in this particular company is very impressive for Harrison after three games Harrison is top of the Premier League for key passes and he's also joint top for big chances created as well so he's creating lots of chances he's creating lots of big chances and so his assist potential is really really high and dare I say I know Aronson gets a lot of attention and obviously he scored that goal today the stats so far are showing that if you do spend that extra money from going from uh, Aronson to Harrison thus far the signs are showing that you probably will see a return on that investment uh, you know slightly more points just because his uh, his, his assist potential is so high uh, thank you very much to Dougie who says that confirms that Harrison got three bonus points and Addison uh, Chang also confirming as well we've got everybody jumping in telling me three mo- three bonus points um, so yeah well there we are just another reason to consider uh, Jack Harrison who's looking uh, looking very decent indeed and in terms of Leeds' fixtures moving forward then so up next uh, is Brighton away now Brighton have looked good but Leeds have looked very good as well so you'd expect them to score there then Everton Everton at home, it's a good fixture. Brentford away, another good fixture. Nottingham Forest at home. Man United away, which I think at the moment everybody says is the easiest of the lot. Uh, and then Aston Villa away as well, also not defending too smartly either. So Leeds are going to score a lot of goals in the next six game weeks. And, well, Rodrigo and Harrison appear to be the people to go for. Now, I did promise we'd talk about Chelsea's defence as well, because, of course, uh, a lot of people will be experiencing a lot of Reese James pain, maybe some Mark Cucurea pain, um, so yeah, some more detail on them I think is is worth going into. Now what we mentioned last week on the Chelsea defence was it hadn't, hadn't looked too solid in the first two games. Obviously the first game they played, it got a clean sheet, but it was against Everton who, I mean, to be honest at this point, they're probably very close to asking me to play centre forward for them because they're so short of options. But then of course against Spurs, and this was the key thing that I thought really sent alarm bells around for whether or not um, you know Chelsea's defence is solid this year. Um, they gave up four big chances against Spurs in a game where they had something like 77% possession, which that is, that's got to be quite scary for anyone who owns a Chelsea defender. Or, or hopefully, hopefully Thomas Tuchel, because if you're gonna ha- if you're gonna control a game, and in the very small parts of that game where the other team has a chance, you're giving up four big chances. That shows that there's something wrong with your defence in some way. Um, now he obviously is going to probably have a greater idea of the ins and outs of what's wrong with it. That's what he's paid for. All I need to know is it's not performing well <laughs> for me to say. You know, it makes me nervous about Chelsea defenders. Now, because they conceded four big chances in that game, that actually put them in the bottom seven for big chances conceded across the first two games. And they all came from one game. And it was the first time they played a game against a team that actually had a centre-forward. Now, against Leeds, they've conceded another three big chances. So that means that after three matches, Chelsea have already conceded seven big chances, which is obviously now good enough for them to be in the division's bottom five for that particular stat after only three matches that's not looking too smart and you know you've got to say you can probably take Everton out of the equation because they aren't going to play too many other teams that are that short of a centre forward uh, Chelsea and so it's it's not looking good at all for their defensive potential and I mean some people said at the start of the season you know I, I mean I mentioned as well I was just a bit nervous for them 
in terms of the fact they've lost Rudiger, who was by by far and away their best centre-back. Koulibaly's come in, obviously got a high pedigree, but I haven't been too impressed with him so far. And he got sent off. So, you know, they're, they're short of options there. And, you know, so moving forward, I, I'm, I'm really not confident this Chelsea team can keep too many clean sheets. Now, where people are invested in that, of course, is Reese James. Further concern there as well uh, from the fact that he he's being lined up at right centre-back. Now, even though he played in that position against Spurs, he did still score uh, because he, he's quite useful on the overlap sometimes. Um, one thing that's probably worth pointing out, so what I've got here, I should have pointed out earlier, is that we've got the average position map for this particular game where I've highlighted where Reese James, his average position was. We've got his touch map as well. He is still getting involved. He is still um, in advanced positions, even if on paper he's down as a right centre-back. Maybe that's why they're conceding so many chances because someone from the back three is spending more time on the outside of the opposition box than anywhere near his own. Maybe that's one of the problems. But clearly things aren't quite right at Chelsea, especially in defence. So if you're looking for ways to save money, personally right now, I would... I, I mean, I'd personally be considering moving on Reese James. If you want to stay involved in the Chelsea defence, Kukurea obviously is cheaper, taking some of the corners off him as well. But I don't know. I just feel like the, the expensive defenders right now just aren't quite justifying their their price tag. So... If you, I wouldn't be too shocked at people making a bit of a restructure just based off the fact that these expensive defenders haven't been do as, doing as well as we would want them to. So if that's something that um, is on people's minds, then do let us know because I, I really want to know what Reese James owners are going to do. I've not owned him at all this season, so I'm feeling relatively smug that I don't have to do anything with him. If I owned him, I would be scared about selling him because you know there's always a big haul around the corner. But as I said, there's a lot wrong with Chelsea. So um, I'd be intrigued to see how much impact that has uh, on what people uh, are thinking. So a couple of other comments on, on Leeds, which is um, nice to see. I think that is... That, moving back to the positives from this game, you know, that is <laughs> what's really sticking with people. Dougie says Leeds are very attacking, very fun to watch. Um Nuka Atom saying uh, Bamford, I think, is still going to be out from, for longer. So, you know, that's obviously potentially beneficial for Rodrigo as well. Addison Chang making the point that given last season's struggle and the fact that Rafinha has left and gone to Barcelona, he's really surprised at how well Leeds are doing. And I, I've, I'll put my hands up and say, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised as well. But it's pleasantly surprised. I always enjoyed watching Leeds under Bielsa. I was very disappointed to see him leave because I, I was a, it was a character that I liked. And... Um, but it's nice to see the similar style of play uh, being involved and, and paying dividends because everybody loves watching a, a team that plays attacking football and uh, puts pressure on the on the defence. So, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> animations have said uh, that he's already brought in Aronson, having sold Gross. So there's a lot of a lot of interest in this Leeds team and uh, understandable. Uh, Dougie's saying that he's going to keep uh, Reese James for now. Um, and Tony D says, I don't know if I sell James or I sell Ake with his injury. Well, that's a good point, actually. If you've got other... We were talking about how you make decisions with Reese James. It, of course, depends on how big your fires are elsewhere. And Ake with his injury, um, my apologies. I've not, I've obviously been setting the stream up, so I've not had the opportunity to tune into the post-match stuff from Man City. I'm sure that um, if there are any quotes out there, they're going to be on Fantasy Football Scouts Twitter feed. So check that out. See what Pep says about that injury. If that's a potentially long-term one, then yeah, you've got to think that maybe Ake is the one to get rid of because at the very least with Reese James, uh, he's probably a lot more likely to start most weeks than he was last season because, of course, a couple of defenders have left. Uh, Koulibaly getting sent off is helpful for him if you're worried about starts. So even though he was kind of branded as a slight rotation risk, perhaps maybe earlier on in the season, he's probably more likely to start game week four than he would have game week three just because 
of just some personnel issues. So if that's your, if that's the state of play in your team, then I don't think there's a worse decision in the world to hold Reese James. But certainly if I owned him right now, he would be on the sort of palette of players I'd be considering moving on, um, personally. Uh, Mario Rasic says, what about Neto? Are you getting rid of him? I probably will get rid of him, but I need to possibly work out what I'm doing in the way of restructuring, possibly. I really want to get to Rodrigo. Uh, I really want to get to maybe Harrison. We'll see who I can get to, which does mean downgrading somewhere else. Uh, so I've got to work out how I can do that first. But if I can work out a way to downgrade in such a way that I can get Neto to a Leeds midfielder, I think that's probably going to be one of my moves this week. Um, uh, Anna Pam saying Saka to Martinelli, uh, Zaha or Diaz or hold the transfer. Well, on that particular one, Saka to Martinelli wouldn't be the worst decision in the world. Saka to Zaha also potentially worth doing as well. But uh, if you uh, didn't catch earlier on uh, in the stream, uh, Anna Pam, where I just went into some detail about Fulham's defence next week and what that could mean what that could mean uh, for uh, Saka on the right-hand side. There's a possible chance that maybe Saka can redeem himself against Fulham because of the way they set themselves up. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my answer to that question uh, again. Now, before we finish, just going to briefly touch on the Man City-Newcastle game. Uh, and I haven't got too much information on this one, so I do apologise. I haven't got loads and loads of stats for this one because it's only just finished and there's so much prep I had to do for the stream that I don't have too much detail. So um, if, you, if you have Fantasy Football Scout membership, um, then head to that part of the website to the members area and have a look at the matches section and go and have a look at um, some of the key stats from this particular game and you'll you'll be able to find out a bit more information that I'm not able to give to you uh, right now. Um, but it's worth saying that um, the main thing that I take from this particular game is just is actually not really about Man City but actually about Newcastle. Now, um, they demonstrated in this game absolutely that the best way to put Man City in a, under pressure is to, well, put them under pressure. Instead of putting all the men behind the ball, if you go and attack them and you go and attack the spaces that they leave behind the defence uh, based on the way that they play their possession, it can make a big impact. And it, it's just another example to show me that um, under Eddie Howe, they are hugely improved. I, In the past, in years gone by, I'd been somewhat critical of Eddie Howe, but uh, after he's left Bournemouth, uh, in the gap between him leaving then and coming to Newcastle, he's clearly developed so well as a coach. And today, more than ever, has highlighted the change that he's made there. So um, Newcastle, def- Newcastle players, defenders, midfielders, attackers, if you've got them, you know, you must be very happy. Trippier obviously getting his goal um, and managing to not get sent off in the process. <laughs> uh, so he looks very nice. Uh, I I'm, I'm mentioned earlier, a couple of mentioned earlier that, that I've still got Sven Botman. He's going nowhere from my team because it looks like Target is out long enough for... Um, him to it's for Botman to play at centre back so Byrne can play at left back and and Byrne actually went off with a possible knock as well so uh, Botman's still looking like he's going to play Cher still looking like he's going to play Nick Pope making lots of saves that Newcastle team is looking very good um, Harland is looking very good as well it's st- I mean if you haven't already got him, I still feel like he's going to be one of the hot, top scoring uh, forwards this year. And just the way that his movement in the box, even in a tricky game, the way that he just moved towards the ball for that finish against Newcastle was just instinctive um, for him. It just it just shows um, how, how how good he is. So, as I said, I don't have too much in the way of detail about that particular game. You're going to have to you're going to have to go on Fantasy Football Scout for some more detail on that um, a little bit later. But that's just my initial thoughts from watching that game. Um, in the final few minutes, uh, I, I've, I've always said if you've got any questions then um throw those in the chat there's already a few so i'll go with i'll go with those now but if you've got any questions before we finish then then chuck those in and another reminder if i can get the widget to work properly uh, 
to uh, if you if you like this video and you've enjoyed it, uh, then make sure that you subscribe to the Fantasy Football Scout YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you like this video as well, so that um, people know that this is one that you enjoy. And then also hit the uh, bell notification, the bell button as well, so you get a notification every time there is a new video. So make sure that you uh, do that. Uh, if you're enjoying Fantasy Football Scout content. Um, in terms of the questions that we have then, so Climate Apprentice says, what to do with Mason Mount? Um, now, we've the handy thing is we've talked about some players in his price bracket. If I had Mason Mount right now, and as I've already alluded to, I... I, I just, just not getting the sense that Chelsea are quite where they want to be at the moment, then I would be looking at someone like Zaha, Rodrigo, Harrison as a possible replacement there they, you know they've got in my opinion slightly better fixtures they're in significantly better form and I think that's an easy swap to be honest because Mount um, is priced in such a way that you can get to those guys relatively easily so um, yeah that would be what I would do in that particular situation Climate Apprentice um, highlighting Gundogan actually that's a good shout um, I, I haven't had the chance to really look into him in too much detail this season uh, but of course you know he obviously has pedigree although he isn't going to play in the same role as he did. Now, when Gundogan did very well, well before, he was playing in that false nine role uh, that that afforded him the opportunity to to burst into the box at, or the six yard box, I should say, at just the right moment to put things away. Now, with Haaland, that space is occupied. So, Gundogan is going to do well this season, but whether or not he can, you know, um, relive the glory days of a couple of years ago, probably not. Um, other questions. Uh, Historia Film says Saka replacement. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a broken record on this, but I just want to drum home to everyone that there's a possibility that against Fulham, maybe Saka gets you something. But if you are looking to replace him, then yeah, he's another player you could use to get to a Leeds midfield player, Rodrigo, Harrison, uh, Aronson, if you want a bit of a differential. Uh, Zaha, I think, is going to do particularly well. Uh, Padraig Marley is pointing out that Harlan could easily have had three against Newcastle. That's an excellent point. He always going to be, always going to be in captaincy con- uh, conversation moving forward. Uh, Dan Weston says Tony or Rodrigo. Now that's a really good question. That um, I'm actually just going to have a look at the fixtures for that because yeah, uh, one team that. I haven't really touched on which maybe I should have done uh, is Brentford because their fixtures are looking very nice now what I'm looking at and apologies I haven't I'm, I haven't screenshotted it so you can see it as well but it's the Fantasy Football Scout season ticker which um, allows you to sort all the teams in the Premier League by who has the most attractive fixtures either from an attacking or a defensive viewpoint over however long a period you like and I always like to look over six game weeks and obviously if we're looking for an attacking player I've selected attack as well and the top four teams for fixture difficulty or fixture ease I should say over the next six game weeks second on that is is Brentford with Everton Palace Leeds Southampton Arsenal Bournemouth their next six Leeds playing Brighton Everton Brentford Forest Man United and Villa personally I am a little bit more um, I feel like there's slightly more consistency and more reliability in this Leeds team that's possibly just my just gut feeling uh, but that's not to say that Tony's a bad shout because I think Tony's scored in every game week now. Um, I haven't had a chance to look at his stats. So if you have a chance to have a look at whether or not... Uh, well, I mean, one thing I should say is that I have looked at some stats for Rodrigo and he's very, very near the top in terms of his ability to shoot in the right places and get them on target. And his stats, I think, are better than Tony's. So if I was choosing between the two, feel a little bit more confident in Leeds anyway. Rodrigo has slightly better stats, so I'd go with him personally. Um uh, Inertia says, do I need Chelsea cover? I currently have three City, Liverpool, Arsenal, but no Spurs, Chelsea. Uh, I mean, I don't think so. I haven't had a Chelsea player all season. And whilst I have obviously advertised to everyone that my ranking right now is 2.4 million, um, I don't really feel like that's damaging me too much. Um, thus far, this, this 
far into the season when my captain's going to play on Monday night. So I'm hoping that number's going to go up. I'm not really feeling like I'm I'm, I'm struggling too much without Chelsea. Uh, and anyone who has been relying on Mount or Reese James hasn't been getting the points that they really feel like they deserve. So I wouldn't be too worried about that if you haven't got um, if you haven't got an option there. Uh, Bunny V says any Neto replacement is double leads worth it. I already have Rodrigo. I mean, I've got to be honest. I mean, if you're looking for a way to really, really like double down and do some real damage to those around you, I mean, there's worse things to do to double up on that leads attack. I mean, when you consider that two, um, Aronson obviously got the first goal with no assist, but then the second goal and the third goal, um, they were inverted, weren't they? Rodrigo scored one and Harrison uh, assisted. So, you know, there's plenty of opportunity if you've got the right Leeds attackers, they're going to score and they're going to assist each other. And with the fixtures they've got coming up and the stats that they're posting, you know, there's assist potential from Rodrigo as well as his goal threat. Um, and then Harrison's assist potential is at the moment among the best two or three in the division. It's only three game weeks, of course, so we can't read into it too much. But from what we can see so far, it's looking good. Owning a Leeds double up in midfield, if you're looking for a way to get out of Neto and you can upgrade sufficiently to get to either Aronson or... Uh, Harrison to go with Rodrigo. I mean, that's that's hardly hardly a bad one uh, to consider. Uh, Darren Mason pointing out that if Afana signs for Chelsea, that will probably see James uh, released back to to right wing back. It's a good point, actually. It's entirely possible. Although it's worth saying that the Koulibaly red card has probably meant that Leicester have looked at Chelsea and just added twenty five million onto Fafana's price because they know they can like just force that extra bit of money out of them now, which, I mean, I don't know, that could potentially maybe change whether or not uh, Chelsea um, want to spend that kind of money. I don't know. We'll have to see. It's one worth keeping on. Although what I will say is I don't like having to rely on a team making a change um, for me to consider a player. I like to usually, if I can, rely on the, the knowables, the things that I know are more set in stone. And that's just part of one of the reasons why I'm just, just something that just doesn't scream reliability to me about Chelsea thus far uh, for me um, I'll take one last question then uh, from Nuclear Atoms is it finally the right time to jump on Perisic well I'm not sure I don't know 12 points if you don't own him that stings and he does look very good and he, and when you consider that he came on against Chelsea when Sessegnon wasn't playing well got an assist started against Wolves uh, then of course you know did very well there's a chance he's going to start maybe two of the next three, three of the next four, and maybe he continues to do well. Um, for me, when it comes to defenders, I don't mind. I don't know. With it, I don't like. I just really don't like to have expensive defenders who I'm not going to sure are going to start every game. I'm not sure about clean sheets. I'm a bit old-fashioned that way. As I've mentioned before, I haven't gone. Um, haven't gone with uh, the big at the back this season. Um, because I just I don't like that particular structure. I like to have maybe two premium defenders, one cheapy, uh, so and then just rotate them. So I've got Patterson, I've got Williams, and I've got Botman, and I just rotate them in and out of that third slot. Um, then it means that I want those two premium ones to be players I can rely on. At the moment, it's Cancelo and Alexander-Arnold, although obviously they haven't been doing as well as I'd like. But they're the sorts of players that I like to have in those slots rather than have a Perisic. And I'm sure that's going to come back to bite me now, but when you consider the changes you have to make in, in your team throughout the season, you know you largely want to be making sure you can jump on the bandwagons in midfield and in the forward areas because normally that's where you get those players that go through patches of form lasting six to seven uh, games uh, and then dropping off again based just probably on them having good fixtures in the midfield and the forward area. You want to be able to jump on and off of those bandwagons as quickly as you can. Now, that's really difficult to do if you've got loads of money in defence. And some of those defenders are people 
you know what I mean, who aren't starting every game, or in the case of, as I've alluded to, possibly with, problem with Reese James, you know, he's just getting one point every week. You know, you need to be able to rely on those defenders at the back so you're not making tons of changes there so that you can make the changes further forward, which is why I need to see a little bit more from Perisic before I can answer the question, is now the time to jump on him? Because I just there's, it just feels like there's too too many variables for me to be sure on that and one thing that Dan E1 uh, oh sorry E1981 has pointed out he was hobbling after the game as well so we should probably just keep an eye on whether or not uh, there is anything uh, to uh, to follow up in terms of possible injuries as well and one other thing to remind everyone of course is that we've got some cup fixtures this week so don't make your transfers early it's entirely possible that someone you sign gets injured or someone you didn't sign you already owned gets injured in the week after your transfer uh you know, then you're going to be in, in a particularly poor area. But the cup matches could be helpful as well because, well, if Spurs start sessing on midweek, then perhaps, you know, then, then now is the time to jump on, on, on Perisic. You know, that's just a little bit more information you get in the in the bank ready to make those decisions. And so, yeah, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on those this week and using those to make your decision. So... I am going to, uh, I think, leave it there. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in uh, for another episode. It's good to have everyone uh, with us. Uh, as as, uh, as I've said before, it's always really nice when the games have just finished, just to take a step back, just to calm down, analyse the game week in uh, in a slightly less emotive terms, but only after, only after we have made sure that we've banished all of those emotions, whether or not they're positive ones, negative ones, uh, at the start of the show, we can uh, debrief together and then look at some of the, the stats from the weekend in, in slightly more um, uh, slightly more measured and balanced approach to help us make the right decisions moving forward. So hopefully the, the information here was helpful. Uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record again, but if you found especially the screenshots on the Fantasy Football Scout members area useful, uh, then and you're not already a member, then head to fantasyfootballscout.co.uk, uh, have a look at the members' benefits, and there'll be, a, it'll, there'll be information there in terms of how useful that can be that's in incredible more detail than what I can offer uh, just in, in sat here talking to you so have a look at that and if you feel that's something that you uh, will help you uh, do better at FPL and improve your FPL pedigree then do consider signing up it's it can be hugely game changing for you so do consider looking at that and I will just remind you once again that if you enjoyed this video uh, and you like Fantasy Football Scout content on YouTube then don't forget to subscribe to the channel like this video uh, and hit that bell notification so you never miss a video so uh, after all that, uh, all I've got left to say is goodbye. I hope everyone ha- has a good week. I hope your players don't get injured in a couple of competitions and I hope you all get green arrows in game week four. So I will see you then.